Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the executive director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen to audiences around the world. We invite you to share these podcasts and our free daily meditations with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to introduce new audiences to the writings and the teachings of Henry Nouwen, and we can remind each listener that they're a beloved child of God. Now let me introduce you to my guest today. I'm honored to be joined in conversation all the way from Scotland by Sharon Garlow Brown. Sharon is a spiritual director, speaker, and founder of the Abiding Way Ministries. She's also the author of many best-selling books, including the wonderful four-part series, Sensible Shoes. A graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary, Sharon and her husband, Jack, have served on pastoral staffs in Scotland, England, and in Oklahoma and Michigan in the United States. Today, we're talking with Sharon near Dundee, Scotland. Sharon, welcome to Henry Nowen, Now and Then. It is a joy to be with you, Karen, and with your listeners. Thank you so much for the invitation. Sharon, you have so many wonderful novels, and we could discuss many of them today. But I want to focus on Shades of Light, a book described on the cover as both heartbreaking and enthralling. Why did you choose to write this novel? What a great question. Um, Shades of Light um, addresses issues of grief, loss, affliction, uh, particularly in the context of mental illness. And without giving too many details, because his story is his story, um, our beloved son, David, has struggled with debilitating depression for many years. And while my protagonist, Ren, is not my son, um, she shares many struggles in common with him, which then gives me some insight as Ren's mom, Jamie. Um, what does it mean to be a co-sufferer alongside a loved one where you are aching for them to be well and whole and you're pouring out your cries to Jesus to come quickly to rescue and save? And... Um, we don't have the power to fix. We struggle to know how to help. We can live in some fear of saying the wrong thing or not saying the right thing or never quite knowing where the edge of the cliff is. And so the Lord has met me in profound ways as I have shared that journey with our son and certainly has enlarged me with compassion for others who who share similar um, affliction and suffering. I knew as I read that you'd been there. Mm. I can't explain it other than that there was such honesty in it. And I am amazed amongst, in my own family and amongst my friends, just how many deal with mental illness. Yes. What I found was so wonderful in the book was the inner voice of your characters that really help. I I hear our own fears in it, yes. and I and the anguish for the person facing depression and facing mental illness, and I felt that you really give those voices to us with such honesty and with hope, mm-hmm. but you also, in a way, interpret to us how do I deal with this? Yes. If I have faith in God, how do I? How do I deal with this that doesn't seem to be solvable? I appreciated that, Sharon. And and there's a lot of honesty in it. Is it difficult for people 
with depression or with mental illness to read? Has it been helpful in that place? That's a really important question, Karen. It's the only book I've ever written where I've heard from readers who tell me, I can't read this because it's too true. I'm too like Red and I don't have the capacity to take on someone else's suffering that's so close to mine. However, I'm asking everyone I know to read the book so they understand what it feels like from the inside. And along with that, some of my favorite emails have come from those in the depths of mental illness who have written to say, I felt heard, I felt seen, I felt known, I felt compassion. Thank you. And that's a glory to God. That was, that was, I had three audiences in mind, Karen, when I was writing that I'm just longing for the Lord to meet. So the first were those suffering from the depths of despair and depression and anxiety. And for Ren, there's some panic disorder as well. And those who are suffering alongside those co-sufferers, the loved ones. And then also for the body of Christ that for so many years has compounded the suffering by saying things we would never say to someone suffering from cancer or leukemia, things like if you just prayed harder, if you just read more scripture, if you just had more faith, you would be well. And that just adds condemnation onto the suffering to compound it. So I was hoping the Lord would reach those without personal experience with this to enlarge their compassion and capacity to be alongside with some understanding. And so those are treasures too, when I get emails from them. I would say, like to people listening, if there's someone in your life, or if you have friends in your life who are who are coping with family members, or they themselves are coping with mm-hmm. mental illness or depression or anxiety attacks, you will get such insights from this book. I, I found right away, you know, I made my list of who do I want to give this book to who will be feel understood. And I think that's such a gift we can give. You know, that's a a gift of love we can give when we give understanding. One of the marvelous things about the book is it's it's got layers of of really interesting insights. You weave in Vincent Van Gogh. I weave him in with such, uh, at the end of the book, I feel like I know him through his Mm -hmm. art, through his, his incredible vision. Tell me a little bit about that. How is it that you found and use Vincent. So we'll go back to the summer of 2016. And I was leading a retreat in Kansas City. And a woman at the retreat said to me um, after the session, I would love to take you to our local art museum for lunch. So I went to the art museum and we were exploring the hallways together. And I turned a corner and went down halfway down the hall and a painting on the wall reached out and grabbed me. I I mean, I stood before it, Karen, and I gasped and I nearly doubled over. I wasn't sure if I was going to burst into tears or if I needed to take off my shoes and worship on holy ground. It was a picture by Vincent of um, the olive groves and he did 15, 16 of, of those paintings. But I had never, I had seen his work before, but I had never been particularly struck by it. Um, But I went back to my hotel room, really curious about my response, my inner response to his work and started doing a bit of research. And that's when I discovered that he had painted that particular painting, his series of olive groves while he was um, at an asylum in the South of France. And the 
the little news article that I, I found online said that at the time he was meditating on the Garden of Gethsemane. And I, I mean, I closed my computer and said, wait a minute here. Was Vincent a believer? Because that's not the narrative that I knew. I knew, you know, um, erratic painter maybe had um, bipolar, if we were diagnosing him in contemporary world, had cut off his ear, had died by suicide. Those were the, that's the narrative I knew. So here I am in my hotel room reading about how he wanted, he was a pastor's son. He um, wanted to serve Jesus. He wanted to be a pastor. He moved to England when he was in his late teens to serve at some churches. He, we have a record of his sermons because he copied them for his brother in letters. And yet he wasn't, um, he, he wasn't skilled enough, he thought, to pursue the study of languages. So he knew he couldn't be a pastor, you know, Greek and Hebrew. Um, so he decided, where could I go in the world where I could take the light of Jesus into the darkest possible place? And he decided to go to the mining villages in Belgium. And he traveled with two books. He traveled with his Bible and he traveled with the imitation of Christ. And he then began um, an incarnational presence with the mining community, giving away his clothes, giving away his food, praying with them, leading Bible studies, going down into the depths of the mine to be with them, um, wouldn't accept housing in a, in a pretty modest home, but instead lived and slept on, in, on a mud floor in a hut. And when the missionary society came through to do their evaluation of him, they thought that he had um, gone too radical, that he was very unwell, and they pulled his funding, leaving him in his late 20s to ask the question, if I'm not even fit to take the gospel to the poorest of the poor, what am I fit for? And it, it launched him, plunged him into some darkness for a while, but some, um, some curiosity about what he could do, and he decided as he emerged from that, that he'd always like to draw so maybe he could teach himself to be an artist and he had worked in an art gallery his brother worked in an art gallery he had family connections that way so vincent started to teach himself how to draw and paint when he was 27 and he ended up painting about 900 paintings in 10 years and um 1100 drawings so you know here i am learning about him and i said to the lord in december of that year karen i said lord um if i'm meant to do something to bring forth his true story of um, love for Jesus and love for people. Could you show me what that is? And that's where the convergence of this character who was beginning to gel in my heart, my ran, converged with Vincent and his story. And I realized that Vincent was a companion in suffering and sorrow to Ren, especially when words were too hard for her. Art had access to her soul. Beauty had access to her soul. And so he becomes a very important mentor, if you will, throughout the book Shades of Light, as he was for me. Um, it just uh, such beauty in his, the way that he saw the world and the way that he saw people with such compassion, tenderness. It's interesting because he was very important to Henry Nowen. It was, yes. He was one of the people speaking into Henry's life. Perhaps, you know, the whole vision of downward mobility maybe yes. planted initially by Vincent's life journey and his understanding of melancholy. Yes. Lovely the way that you break that word open mm. and, and uh, it, it becomes a word that is woven throughout. But I got to know Vincent through your book. Oh, and uh, you. those who are fans of Vincent van Gogh, this is an, um, yours is an important book to read because you have really 
I think got the essence of him in the book. And I just mm-hmm. love that about it. It's so, so special. Thank you. I'm honored by that. And it was, it was in February of 2017, Karen, that I discovered Nowen's connection with Vincent. I didn't know that he was connected. And again, some research online that he had, had taught a course at Yale on Vincent's life. And, you know, one click leads to another. And suddenly I'm in touch with a woman who was in the class and um, had a manuscript that she had completed, but without a publisher for um, the, for Henry's unpublished work about Vincent. So I need to do a shout out to Carol Berry and her gorgeous book about Vincent and Henry. It's, it's called Learning from Henry Nowen and Vincent Van Gogh. It's um, a portrait of a compassionate life. And Carol does just an exquisite job. I was able to connect connect her with my publisher who said a a quick and enthusiastic yes (laughs) to her manuscript. That's lovely to hear that you had a part in that. That's terrific. Well, let's go back a step. I wanna ask the question, tell me about Ren. Who is Ren in this book? And then we can talk about Ren as an artist. So again, I'll do a little background story because these are the things that, you can't make up. Um, when I was writing the final book of my Sensible Shoes series, a character name came to mind, but I didn't write it down. And then weeks later, I thought, oh gosh, I should have written down the name of that character. It felt important. Um, it, it'll, you know, unless the Lord brings it back, it's gone. So a few days later, I was sitting outside on our deck in West Michigan and a little bird landed on the railing, not far from where I was sit- sitting with my computer on my lap. And I watched this little bird hop along and there was no food, you know, no seed on the, on the balcony, but the wren, uh, well, I discovered later it was a wren, but the little bird hopped down and came close to, to my feet and then hopped up onto my armrest, the chair, and then hopped across my computer and then hopped onto my knee. I can still feel those little claws and then flew away and jingled the wind chimes. And, and I, I thought, wait, that's not normal bird behavior. <laughs> what, what was that? So all I knew, little tiny bird, tufted tail. I went running in stare, uh, uh, inside and pulled out my bird book and it, I discovered it was a wren. And then I started to cry because that was the name of the character that had come to mind a couple weeks later. So I was weeping, Karen, saying, Lord, who is this woman? If you used a bird to remind me of her name she's really important like and I I wondered would she make an entry into an extra mile but no she waited her turn waited her turn waited her turn and then her story began to emerge with a 27 year old woman deep sensitivity deep compassion deep love for Jesus who has her entire life struggled with depression and anxiety And the book starts hard with her making the courageous decision to seek help at a psychiatric hospital. Um, And so that's that's who Ren is. She is courageous. Um, She shines with compassion. She's been shaped by suffering and she battles mental illness. And um, and that's I, I, I. I love all my characters, Karen. I am particularly proud of Ren and the journey that she makes over the course of three books uh, in the Shades of Light series. I love her too. In fact, I'll give you a little insight into my world. My sister, my older sister, was diagnosed as schizophrenic when she was 21. Mm. She passed away last year. Mm. She was an artist. She was an extremely gifted artist. But like Vincent van Gogh, she never sold a painting. Yes. And she had this passion for Jesus. Jesus was really what rescued her yes. from 
serious, serious depression, but there was always battles going on in her, but a wonderful woman. My mm -hmm. sister, Janet, was a, a wonderful, interesting woman, and I love her artwork. I just love it. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. It's vibrant. But yeah. tell me, it's one of the things that struck me as I read the book. You really understand painting, too, because mm. it's so important to Ren as a character, yes. a painter, and you understand the unfolding of of the thought process in mm. painting something. Where, where did you get that kind of insight? Mm. Are you a painter? I am not. That is not my, my native language at all. So I observed some friends who are painters, and I asked a lot of questions. And I, I bought um, a set of paints so that I could feel what it feels like to paint. And um, little known detail, I, I had a little canvas I was working on one day and I thought, I wonder if I could paint a rooster. And so I, I prayed and this rooster emerged, Karen, and um, very, very quickly. And I'd say it was a fluke, except I have to say it was the Lord. It ended up um, being... Uh, Ren paints as she meditates on the cross, and that's my the second book in the series. So the rooster that Ren paints is actually the rooster that I painted that day as I pray. The rest of her art is way beyond my capacity as, <laughs> on my little kitchen table with my little square. Uh, but it was I I had to feel what it was like to blend the colors and and to use it as a prayer practice so that I could inhabit that part of it. But the actual technique and and language for um, for what Ren is doing had to come from others. Well, it's an added richness to this. We get Vincent's struggle mm -hmm. as he's painting and the processes that he's going through and the the wonderful sensitivity to that, and then we get Ren as well. But there's another character in the book that's struggling with mental illness. How did Casey make it into this story and why? So Casey has been, um, was Ren's first friend. Ren grew up in, in Australia and then moved to the States with her mom and, and new stepdad at the age of 10. Um, a vulnerable time and Casey was her first friend and remained a best friend for her. Um, Casey suffers from bipolar and has been quite erratic and Ren has been a steadying or an attempt to be a steadying presence in his life over many years. Um, and there are, you know, people that are concerned about her friendship with him. Um, you can see that there's a lot that's unhealthy. Ren begins to own her kind of codependent part in that friendship and without giving details, um, too many details away about the, the end of the book, but um, there is some some trauma and loss um, that happens with, with Casey. So he isn't based on anyone in particular. I didn't have a model for him, but he emerged as someone important and, and true to life. Um, again, the, the recipient of, of Ren's compassion um, through some pretty erratic um, episodes. In this book, it's the honesty and the gentleness of it that I'm so drawn to. I'm so drawn to the story is great. I I come away because I, I wanted so much to be a filmmaker. And what I discovered was I'd fall in love with books. I'd want to option them and make them into films. But the marvel of a book is that you go inside someone's head and you go inside yes. private conversations. And that's what makes this so, in a way, irresistible because the conversations that are in people's heads within yes. the book are conversations we we can recognize in ourselves mm -hmm. some of them 
condemn and and characterize people as as hopeless or whatever, you know. Yes. But there, there's a wonderful language within that that makes this book so very important. I think it's your strength, obviously, Sharon, as you write. I I found that to be the case with sensible shoes. It helped me understand the journey from within of somebody walking in and gaining faith. And that's the same I find in this story. You have a way of telling the story gradually unfolding from within. It's a part of that, Karen, is is choosing to write with a very intimate point of view. So as you say, you have um, uninhibited access to everything the character is thinking and feeling. And again, hoping that that is a pathway to enlarge our compassion um, and empathy for others, but also to see ourselves um, mirrored in ways that lead us forward with Jesus for transformation and healing and, and freedom. I'm glad your characters aren't tidy with uh, simple answers. I like the thought that you use this opportunity to open people up to maybe better answers, tender answers. Yeah. Um, answers that I think Jesus would want to give to somebody suffering internally. And you realize so much is hidden in all our lives. We all have inner dialogues. We all have inner fears and pains, et cetera. But you actually, I think, unwrap them so tenderly and wisely. Thank you. That's the process of prayer because all I know, I wasn't trained as a fiction writer, Karen. I, all I know how to do is listen prayerfully for, um, for God to reveal the characters so that I'm not creating them, but I'm getting to know them. I'm discovering them as, as he reveals them in my imagination and, um, and just keeping them company in the journey, not trying to control or manipulate anything. Nothing is ever plotted out. So they, the twists and turns, the heartaches, the joys, those all take me by uh, surprise as well. Now you mentioned that there's three books in the Shades of Light journey. Tell us about that. One of the things, anyone that's familiar with the Sensible Shoes series, um, Catherine Rhodes, who is the um, spiritual director and retreat leader in Sensible Shoes, is one of the primary characters in the Shades of Light series. So we didn't ever have access to Catherine's story or inner life in my first four books. But in these books, you get that journey because she is Ren's great aunt, Kit. Um, She goes by Kit in the Shades of Light series. That's how her family knows her. Um, so Shades of Light, the the point of view characters that you get to know very, very well are Ren and Jamie. Catherine is alongside. We don't have point of view access to her in Shades of Light, but we do in the next two books because Catherine has asked Ren if she would consider prayerfully engaging with meditating on the cross, the suffering of Jesus and painting um, matching that with with scripture. And so the second book in the series is um, Ren is very, very unwell in the second book. And Catherine decides that when Ren doesn't have access to um, to words or can't process conversation, um, isn't able to remember things, Catherine decides it might be a gift to write Ren letters out of her own experience of loss and grief and trauma and yes struggle with depression 
and despair. So um, remember me is, is a novella, but it's 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 highly distilled experience and wisdom from Catherine. The back of the book is Wren's full color art and Catherine's meditation on scripture. I found an artist who was willing to paint as a fictional character, Elizabeth Ivy Hawkins. And so Wren's paintings are in full color at the back of the book. And then the third book in the series, um, Catherine remains a point of view character. She's getting ready to retire from the retreat center. She gives one final retreat. So readers will be able to attend Catherine's retreat. Wren is also a point of view character in that book. Um, Wren has moved in with Catherine for, as part of her healing journey. She needed a safe place to land. It wasn't safe for her to continue to remain um, on her own. And so she has moved in to, uh, to Catherine's home for healing. And Catherine's daughter, Sarah, also is a point of view character in, in Feathers of Hope. Um, Sarah's very concerned about the drain that Wren is, or the, the drain Sarah perceives her to be on her mom. And so there's a lot of, it is my most relationally conflicted book of all of my books. There's a lot that's going on <laughs> between characters and conflict and uh, misunderstandings and the need for forgiveness and, and all of that. So that's that's the Shades of Light series. Oh my goodness. I've got to read those two next. Absolutely. <laughs> I, and I want to see the paintings. I think that would be terrific. Oh, they're stunning. They really are. You're not afraid of... Uh of diving in at the deep end of the pool on this one. And I'm so glad that you've done that. I find myself curious. You're a very prolific writer mm. and you've got all sorts of other titles on your name. How do you <laughs> do this? Are you just the Energizer Bunny that writes all day? Or how do you, what's your life like to be able to write so well and so much? It's seasonal. I don't write every day. Um, and my writing comes in seasons. So I, when the Lord, um, I always wait for the Lord's go. And so there are times of, of gathering and collecting and prayer. And then um, I find that I typically, I notice that I start feeding on um, beauty in a, in a really kind of compelled way, or I'll start reading poetry. And then I think, oh, I'm pregnant with a book. <laughs> and so there, this will be coming. And so then it's just, it's the beginning with him. It's, it's the praying it through. Um, I, I can't do quick dives when I'm, when I'm doing a first draft of a book, um, I need kind of extended. So I'll give myself maybe a four or five hour block. So when I know that I'm in a writing season, I will be really careful as much as I can to block out, um, time to give to that. When I'm in the editing process, I can, can dive in pretty quickly and out again, but, um, it is, it is an intensive and completely delightful and um, can be emotionally uh, draining as well as I am traveling with these characters. I, I'm completely immersed in their lives and um, oh, I love them dearly from the inside and all of their, their imperfections and struggles. And um, I see myself, my own struggles mirrored in them. So they're good companions. Another aspect that is woven into all your books and something I value, and I think people coming to it will value you weave spiritual practices in some mm. of them may be fresh to others you know they may not know how to do a lectio divina or a, yeah. a visio divina or those different things but it's lovely it's like you just come alongside in the book and you get the experience mm -hmm. is that part of your uh spiritual process yourself it is it is so that the spiritual practices that have been 
um, significant for me in my life with God and my deepening friendship with Jesus are ones that my characters are also um, being introduced to sometimes for the very first time. One of the things that Ren encounters in Shades of Light, um, Catherine invites her to do a prayer collage with uh, photographs. And that was something that was introduced to me by some lovely, um, lovely friends. So that was a new one. And I found such life um, in it uh, as Ren does, again, in a season when words are too hard. Um, her mom is um, praying with the word, with with uh, Lexia Divina and, and a particular uh, passage that means so much to her mom is out of Mark's gospel with the man who brings his son who is desperately, desperately unwell to Jesus. And this, this boy has a spirit that is bent on his destruction and continues to throw him, throw him down. And the disciples haven't been able to cast it out. And what's so interesting, Karen, to me as a detail is that Jesus, before doing anything to help um, this beloved son, says to the father, how long has he been like this? And for Jamie, it causes her to weep because she sees again the compassion of Jesus who recognizes the co-sufferer. And it's not that Jesus needs to hear the details of the story, it's that the father needs to share the details of the story with Jesus. And so Jamie finds invitation in that too. So they're just, they're different ways that that the characters are, are just practicing the presence of God in, in ways that ring true to where they are, what capacity they have. I love that expression you just used, the co-sufferer. Mm. And it's really what this book does. It, it, it sees mental illness, not just from the world of the person who's struggling, but from the family and loved ones and friends yes. that's around them that become co-sufferers and who wonder how they can make a difference, how they can help. There's um, what really sits at the heart of this book is the question if the Lord in his love and wisdom does not remove the cup of suffering from us, though we plead with him to, how does he then keep us company as we drink it? How do we, how are we invited into knowing Jesus as the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, who does not withhold himself from suffering, but gives himself entirely over to it? And what is companionship with that God um, enlarge us? into in terms of our own compassion and hope. One of the phrases that weaves its way through the book is the phrase active melancholy. Yes. What does that mean? Yeah. It's a Dutch word um, that Vincent used. Um, I don't speak Dutch and apologies to those who do. It's um, Vemot, W-E-E-M-O-E-D. And um, it literally is... Um, in English, it would be a combination of the words woe and courage. And Vincent's perspective on that is when you put those words together, when you put together suffering and sorrow and woe, along with courage and fortitude, it keeps it from disintegrating into despair. And so that becomes a fortifying word for Ren. It doesn't disregard the suffering. Um, and just say, well, just be brave, just be courageous. No, it, it says in the face of suffering, um, we are also given the courage that we need. Um, Vincent loved his life verse, if you will, was Second Corinthians chapter six, where Paul talks about being sorrowing and yet rejoicing. And that was Vincent's, that was the expression of his heart, that those two things were not mutually exclusive. 
um, but we're held together and that this this word vemot is, is a way of holding it in the tension that it has. What does it mean to be a companion in sorrow? Mm, that's a, a, a phrase that Vincent was using, companion in misfortune. I like to think of it as going two directions, that we need companions in our sorrow and in our misfortune, that we need people who will just keep company with us. You know, Job's friends did a fabulous job of pastoral care for seven days while they kept their mouths shut. Um, and we need people who will share the, the tears with us, the silence, the wordlessness, the ache, the groaning, without trying to talk us out of it, without trying to fix it or slap scripture on it to make it all better. So both the receiving of it, but then when Paul talks that we offer the comfort to others that we ourselves have received, then it moves outward from having received companionship in suffering. Can I be enlarged then to be a companion in suffering to someone else? And so it, it moves in, in two directions. And, um, and Ren, certainly we see the movement where she can only be a recipient of love and care when she's so unwell. And then we get to see her modeling um, in an incarnational way that compassion, love and care for others who are in tender spaces. It certainly reminds me of the verse in Corinthians about the comfort wherewith you've been comforted. Absolutely. And at the point you need the comfort, you can't imagine it yes. was a resource. It's just you, you're so desperate to hear from God in the circumstances you're in. And then that amazing word that you will be a comfort to others is a, yeah. I have to admit at the moment that I felt most despair, I felt angry with that word. I don't just want to be comforting others, God, yes. but it's so true because God goes to the depths of our need. He's willing to go where we need him most. Yes. And sometimes it's through another's help, but so often it is the reality that God sees the broken heart and can blow his great love into it. I have to ask, are you pregnant with another book? <laughs> I love your writing. So I, I trust that when it comes, it will be this journey that you are already so familiar with that you mm -hmm. and God do together. <laughs> yes. Well, I've just given birth. It hasn't come out. It's, it's not, not available for public viewing yet, but um, a children's picture book that's going to be releasing in the spring. And it is read as a little girl in her grandmother's art studio. And she is learning to paint her feelings to God. I don't use the word lament in the book, but it translates lament as spiritual practice. So it's an invitation for grown-ups to be alongside children, saying what's honest and true to God, that we don't have to be afraid or hide the fullness of how we're feeling, even our disappointment with God. So that's next. And then um, I, I'm not done with these characters, Karen. Um, you know, Shades of Light takes place in the same universe as Sensible Shoes just nine years later. So the characters from Sensible Shoes that readers may be familiar with make cameo appearances in um, to varying degrees in the Shades of Light series. And I the, the book finishes the timeline of the of the Shades of Light series finishes in August of 2018. And um, just a, a little bit of a plot spoiler, but Ren ends up going to work for a nursing home um, as a custodian. That's what she feels that she can, can do and offers a compassionate presence. And when I think about what my Ren would have been able to do during the pandemic, caring for 
the lost, the forgotten, um, the ignored, those in desperate need of companionship during isolation. I um, I know where she was. I don't know that I'll ever write that story. The story, I think we probably, if I'm to do another book, we don't need a pre-pandemic book. We need a post-pandemic book in terms of how we're processing losses and upheaval and change. And I think these characters um, can be beautiful guides as we think about those questions. So I, I'm hoping I'm not done with them. Um, they are milling. I, I know where they are in 2018, 2020, 2022. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. lovely. You know something I, I really loved? It's funny, as you mentioned the pandemic, we've been so aware at the Henry Nowen Society as we give out daily the meditations that have been written by Henry. So aware of people's need to hear with his honesty, the vulnerability and the truths he had to offer. Thank you, because I see you weaving Henry into your book, Shades yes. of Light. How has he been a resource to you? It's his books that that really deepened my understanding of what it means to be at rest in the love of God and that everything else springs out of that. But certainly um, his work on about Vincent has become particularly meaningful. His emphasis on compassion and comfort and solidarity. Um, I love when your phrase used from him, the downward mobility of that, all that he um, joyfully left behind to embrace an incarnational presence and not just what he was able to offer, but what he received. And I think that was even more important than what, than what he was able to offer to that community. Um, but how he was enlarged simply by being with them. And so I think there's something profoundly beautiful that that humbles me and in, inspires me in that. Sharon, thank you so much for this conversation. What a pleasure to talk with you today on Henry Now and Now and Then. Thank you. Sharon, it's an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much for your kindness and encouragement. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. What an honor for me to spend time with one of my favorite authors, Sharon Garlow Brown. For more resources related to this program, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You'll find links to anything mentioned today, as well as book suggestions. I hope you have already signed up to receive our daily meditations written by Henry Nowen. If not, you can do that on our website at henrynowen.org. Remember, they're free, and they're a wonderful way to stay informed about the various things we have to offer to those who enjoy the writings and the teachings of Henry Nowen. We'd also be so grateful if you would consider donating to the Henry Nowen Society. Your resources help us share the daily meditations and these podcasts right around the world. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take time to give us a review or a thumbs up or pass this on to your friends and family. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Thanks so much for watching. Be sure to subscribe. Give us a thumbs up or follow us on social media for more Henry Nouwen content. For books, videos, and other resources. Or if you'd like to receive free daily Henry Nouwen e-meditations, you can follow the links below.